welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. All right, so we are in Psalm 2 this morning, and, and, and as I mentioned, I mean, we are definitely living in a controversial, controversial period of history, are we not, in, in our country? Everything is so hyper-polarized and hyper-politicized, and it's almost like you can't have any conversation about anything without it just degrading immediately to some polarized political conversation, right? In fact, it was interesting, I, I, I appreciate our guys, we, we had our Washman study yesterday morning, and somebody mentioned something about COVID, and it immediately started to go there, right? It immediately started to go take on this, this sort of energy and intensity that had these political overtones to it, but I, I really applaud I guys that one of the guys who started to kind of go there immediately said, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, what, are we, what is this about? What is this time about? Let's, let's go back and look at the text and talk about what the Lord would have for us. And it, it really showed some maturity, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But we live in such a hyper, intense, sensationalized period of history, do we not? I mean, we have, a, we have an election that is being contested, right? And, it, and, it, and, you know, whatever side of, of that equation that you're on, it's pretty intense. And people are getting very intense about it. So what do we do with that? The social political, political landscape has become fraught with sensationalism, conspiracy theories, slander, and predictions of doom. How should the church stand? Shall we join the world and rage against the machine? Should we prep for the Armageddon? Should we join those preppers out in the desert and get, a, get our AR, what are they, AR-15s and be ready for doomsday? So how we should respond to all of this? Should we join the revolution? I was, I was thinking about this sermon and, and what came to my mind being a, being a child of the 60s, a late child of the 60s. I'm right on the tail end of the baby boomers. Of course, what came to mind is a Beatles song, a Revolution Beatles song, and, and I'm going to read just a, a few lines of it. Hopefully, I won't break into song. It's going to be hard to do, but I'm going to try not to, okay? You say you want a revolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. You tell me there's, that it's evo evolution. Well, you know, we all want to change the world. But when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can count me out? Don't you know it's going to be all right? All right. <laughs> you say you got a real solution. Sorry, I was just, it's, it's impossible to avoid it. Well, you know, we all love to see the plan. You ask me for a contribution. Well, you know, we're doing what we can. Right? Kind of feels like today a little bit to me. Thanks, thanks for that. Kind of indulging my, my 60s background. But uh, we, we live in a world that is even talking, for first time I've ever heard in the United States, discussions of revolution. Well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, there's been discussions of a revolution since our founding, right? 
Um, but it's just interesting to hear things like that being spoken again. I even heard a, a senator I won't name uh, from a state I won't name who said, you know what, uh, maybe we should see, secede from this nation, right? It's, it's getting a little bit crazy out there. So what do we do with that? Let's look at Psalm 2. This is penned by David, King David. And I want, to, I want to briefly speak to the nature of prophecy, the, the way that God speaks in prophecy. And it's important to have a basic understanding of this as we look at the Psalm of David. When God speaks through his prophet, he kind of speaks at least minimally on two levels, sometimes even more levels than that. And one level is the foretelling level, meaning the here and now. As David writes the Psalm, it has significant and deep meaning to him in his situation, in his moment of history. As he writes a song and he is moved by the Holy Spirit to write this poem, it's full of meaning for him. It's complete in meaning to him. It has exact, direct relevance to his situation. Simultaneously, prophetically, it's also foretelling. It predicts, it speaks about a later fulfillment. It speaks to something that is a consummation of what David is experiencing. David is a type, but there's an anti-type that is the fulfillment, the ultimate example, the ultimate reality of what David is experiencing. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. So David says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The, king of the, earth set, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Why do the nations rage? Jade, what's going on with David in his time? David is king of Israel at this point. Israel is a unified nation, and they have occupied various territories surrounding Israel, right? And these various territories are beginning to push back on David's kingdom. They're beginning to challenge David's kingdom. They're beginning to talk about seceding from his kingdom, okay? And David says, why do these nations rage and the people plot in vain? Notice that they are raging and plotting in vain, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? Who are they raging against? Who are they plotting against? They're raging and plotting against the Lord and against his anointed. Well, who is his anointed? That word anointed in Hebrew, the word is Meshiach. And we get the English word Messiah from the word Meshiach. So this so the Meshiach, the Lord and his Meshiach. Meshiach means anointed, just as it's translated here. And in the Old Testament, there were three particular offices that God would anoint. There was the priest, right? There was the prophet, and there was the king. And in the Old Testament, a, a, a person held one of those offices. God anointed a person to hold one of those offices. And of course, David is the anointed king. He is the Meshiach king, the king that God has anointed. 
And so David is saying, look, they're raging against me. They're raging against you, Lord, and against me, your anointed, right? But this also speaks beyond David's present experience. It speaks to the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who fulfills all three of those offices. Have you ever noticed that Jesus is our priest? He is our prophet, and he is our king. Jesus fulfills, ultimately, um, this role of being the anointed king. So they, the nations are raging against the Lord, against God. They're raging against David, his anointed king. And ultimately, as the nations rage and plot, they are plotting against God and against Christ himself, Right? And what is their desire? What is their goal? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us, right? We want freedom. You know, as Americans, we really value our freedom, do we not? It is all about our liberty and about our freedom. All of our education is about the high value of personal freedom and even corporate freedom, right? But God has instituted authorities for our own protection. He has instituted leaders to help us and to guide us, right? And so there comes a point when that, when that desire to, to, to burst the bonds, to, to have our freedom, have it our way. You know the famous song, I did it my way, right? At some point, are we putting ourselves in jeopardy? At some point, are we raging against the one who created heaven and earth, his anointed. That's, that's a fine line, right? That's a, that's a tricky thing to look at, and, and we're going look at, to look at that. So, I, I, I think two verses, I, I want to talk about two verses, and, and, and let, let me ask these, two, these three questions first. A, does your political rhetoric exceed the bounds of Christian love? Are you first and primarily a believer in Christ, a Christian who's, who speaks the word of God, who prophesies the word of God as you share scripture with one another? Or are you first and foremost a libertarian, a Republican, a Democrat? Right? Does your political rhetoric exceed the bounds of Christian love? Does your party policy exceed the bounds of Christian law? What takes precedence? Is it your economic policy, your social policy? Or is it the economics of God's economy, the economics of love and mercy and grace, right? The economics of personal accountability, right? I think we could say each political theory, each political party, maybe gets it right in some ways and maybe gets it wrong in other ways. But what's the guiding, what's the, what's the overarching gui guidance that we have? How do we discern whether or not somebody is kind of going off the rails with their political ideas? How do we know that Hitler, that Nazism, that fascism is not as evil? How do we define that as evil if we don't have some sort of guideline to understand that? And are we first and primarily believers in, in a God who sent his son to die for us 
and redeem us from our own sin? Is that our primary understanding upon which everything else hangs? Are you chasing the plots and conspiracies of this world in vain? One thing I've noticed, in fact, I just saw an interview with a gal who had really gotten into the whole QAnon thing, and she, and she talked about how, how gradual it was. She started out with, oh, well, that's kind of interesting, kind of, what's this thing about? What's this thing that people are talking about? She started researching it just kind of casually, lightly, and she got into it more and more and more and more, and over time, pretty soon, she's just obsessed, right? And it's become an addiction, and she's spending most of her time just researching this whole, this whole intricate conspiracy theory to the point, and her, and her bot, when she finally kind of hit bottom was she, she went into a store, she was just kind of strung out, she went into a store, attacked a mask display, got arrested, and had a nervous breakdown, right? And, and, and it kind of like woke her up like, what am I doing? You know, what, really? I'm going to get arrested over attacking a mask display in a store because I've gotten myself so into all this conspiracy. It's like, are you chasing plots and conspiracies of this world in vain? And why are they vain? Let's look at verse 4 through 6. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't have COVID. I just have a cold. <laughs> uh, he, he, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So David's, David, in his context, is saying, Look, these, these territories that want to revolt against me, guess what? My God's just laughing at you. He is not intimidated by you. All your conspiracies, all your plotting, all your raging... God is not intimidated by that. God is not worried about that. And in fact, God has anointed me as your king, and, and he is the one that has set me on the hill of, hill of Zion. So I'm not worried. And I want to ask us this morning, are you stressed out about all this controversy? You know, are you worrying and anxious of what's going to happen with this election? Who's going to be our president? God's not worried. He's not anxious about it. You know what? Presidents come and go. Political theories come and go. Conspiracies come and they go. God is not freaked out by any of this. Right? Are you worried about it? Who rages against you? Are they greater than God? Who plots your undoing? Are they greater than the Messiah? Look, if you belong to the Lord this morning, you don't have anything to worry about. All this drama, all this craziness that's going on in a, a world. You bong, belong to the Lord, and in fact, again, this is, a, this, is, this is foretelling the Messiah. God established David and his, and his kingdom and his throne, and then, but that is a type of the kingdom and a throne that God has established through Jesus Christ. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, look, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father this very moment, ruling from his throne in heaven. And all this drama down here is just not a big deal to him. He is serious, however, 
about how people are led astray, how his children might be carried off into, at best, a waste of time, and at worst, something that could really bring a lot of damage into their, to his beloved. He takes that very serious, and he has wrath. He says, you know what? Someone who would cause one of these little ones to stumble, Jesus said this, if someone causes one of these little ones to stumble, which I think he was talking about children, but he was also talking about us as children in the faith, whoever causes this little one to stumble, it would be better if someone tied a millstone around their neck and threw them into the ocean because of the wrath that they faith. God cares very, very much about us. And he cares very, very much about where we are being taken in our minds and what's being formed in, in the way we think about the world and the way we think about each other and the way that we care for one another. Scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove out, that you might test out, that you might demonstrate the right will of God, right? Brothers and sisters, do not be conformed by this current hysteria, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Jesus has ascended to his throne. All right, so I was going to look at a couple of verses that I just skipped over, and I'm going to go back to them, because I, I really want to help us calibrate, okay, how do we stand in relative to rulers and powers and principalities? How do we deal with the authorities in our world? And, and I'm going to bookend this with two verses. First one is going to be 1 Peter 2, 13. Peter says, uh, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is Peter's perspective, right? Love God. Love one another, honor the emperor. By the way, Peter died at the hands of the emperor. According to church history, Peter was, was uh, crucified by an emperor of Rome. And in fact, probably when, G when Peter wrote this letter, Nero was the emperor. I don't think the widespread persecution of the Christian church had happened yet. Uh, Rome hadn't burned yet but Christianity was already under sort of pockets of persecution. And that's the context that, that Peter is writing this in. And he says, you know, honor the emperor, right? And we're ready to take up arms if, you know, somebody says, hey, wear a mask, right? Come on. Seriously. Um, can tell I feel strongly about this. The other end of that spectrum is Acts 4.
When should we disobey those in power? When should we disobey those who... When should we disobey the emperor? When should we disobey the president? Acts 4, chapter 4, 18. Peter has healed a guy, a leper, and it's made the Jewish leadership really jealous of him because this new sect, this new cult of Christianity is starting to take hold and they're very jealous of it. So they arrest him and they bring him before the court uh, and, and let's read in 18. So they, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, what, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign, the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So Peter's saying, look, you can beat us, you can put us in prison, you can tell us not to preach this gospel anymore, but we have to obey God. God is primary, right? So at the point that rulers or authorities attempt to inhibit us from practicing the core tenets of our faith, if they keep us from preaching the gospel, if they keep, keep us from gathering together to worship God, we have to draw a line there, okay? And it's not an easy line to draw, right? I mean, the elders have spent almost every elder meeting in the, for the past two, three months, well, longer, really. God, I can't believe how long this has been going on. But um, we've been spending so much time talking about and praying about and sweating out and sweating over how should we respond to the Riverside County requirements in terms of protecting our congregation from COVID. Our goal is to protect, protect you guys. We want to protect this congregation, protect your health. We also want to protect your spiritual health, right? We also are commanded by God to gather together and worship together. So we do all these things. We wear our masks. We have all these signs up. We try to keep our, we keep our distance. We obey the authorities of the land. Rome, Paul says the same thing in Romans. We obey the authorities. They're there to help protect us, right? They're not there necessarily to hassle us. They're just there trying to protect us. And so we do all that we can to support that. We pray for them. We obey them up until the point where, hey, you know what? Christ has called us to gather together, worship together. Right now, by the way, in case you all didn't know, you're all civil disobedience. You're all civil, what do you call them? Civil, I don't know. Anyway, Riverside County says we should be meeting outside right now. The reason we're not meeting outside right now is because of the, the disruption, the noise, the weather, all kinds of issues that are really, I think, in the estimation of the elders, going to do more damage to than, than help. And so we're here worshiping in a room where we can more clearly worship the Lord, right? But that's a hard call. It's a hard decision. And we just have to use the best wisdom we can and do our best to obey the authorities, to obey, obey the legal rulers of our land, while at the same time, putting our hope and faith and ultimate trust in, 
in Christ and obeying him. And he is the ultimate guide to every decision that we make. And that's how it needs to be for us as individuals. So returning back to uh, Psalm 2. Jesus is the ultimate King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You can see that in Revelations 1. He's the Alpha and Omega. Revelations 19, he is the King of Kings. He comes on this. When Jesus returns, when the King returns, he returns on a white war horse and tattooed on his thigh is the, is the phrase King of Kings. And he slays all the nations arrayed against him with, the, with his mouth, with his word, with one word, right? He is the ultimate king. He is who we serve ultimately. Continuing, verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is why the nations rage in vain. This is why the plots against David are in vain. Because God has empowered David. Right? The Lord said to me, meaning David, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That was true of David. That, that word begotten is, the Hebrew word has the idea of bringing forth and birth. Kind of like a midwife. Right? <coughs> it's God himself who knew David. David wrote in another psalm, God, you knew me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew the plans you had for me. You, you, you ordained before the foundations of the world that I would be a servant of you and I would rule as your king. Right? So David is uh, begotten of God. But again, that's a type. The ultimate fulfillment of that is who? Christ. Jesus. What, is, what does John 3.16 say? We all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? God begot Christ. God, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and a human being was conceived in the womb of a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the ultimate fulfillment of this. David was born of, of a father and a mother, a man and a woman, and, and, and ordained by God to be a king. Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin as the Son of God, the eternal God come into the world as flesh, right? Christ is the fulfillment. And he says to David, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your position. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. That was his promise to David. And guess what? That's his promise to us. Whether you know it or not. You may not think that you are a ruler. You may not think that you're much in the kingdom of God or even in the kingdom of this world. But scripture says different. Ephesians 2, I'm not going to read, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but Ephesians 2 says that God saved us by his grace and has seated us with him in the heavenly places. Whether you know it or not, you rule with Christ in the heavenly places right now. 
You are a member of his kingdom. You are a holy nation, a priesthood, ruling with him in his kingdom if you've put your hope and faith in Christ. I am going to go to this verse. This, is, this verse is amazing, and it's a less known verse in Revelation. It's Revelation 2, 26 says, the, and, and this is one of the letters to the church, to the churches. So this is Jesus speaking to a first century church. He says, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guess what? We rule with Christ. Scripture talks about Christ ruling with an iron rod. And we're right there with him, ruling with him. We are rulers in the kingdom of God. And we will judge the nations, brothers and sisters. Whether you know it or not, one day you're going to sit on a throne and be a judge of the nations. Is that radical? It's crazy. So this promise speaks to David. It speaks to how Jesus rules the universe and indeed speaks to how we rule with Christ. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now therefore. Whenever you see therefore, that's the moment of application. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what we take home today, okay? If you don't take home anything else, I hope what you're going to take home is this idea that we serve Jesus in fear and rejoice with trembling. We love him with all of our affection and we are blessed by his protection. All right, this is the application. We rule, okay? We are rulers so therefore, kings, be wise, be warned, right? If you're a Christian, be wise and be warned. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. I love, I was sharing with David before the service, this idea, you never put these two words together, right? Rejoice with trembling. How do you rejoice with trembling? I was reading um, descriptions of the astronauts we're sharing about what it's like to launch off the launch pad in Cape Canaveral. And I, and I read one, did I bring it with me? I did. I read one about a space shuttle. This is a Dr. Garrett Reisman. He's a, a specialist on the space shuttle, flew two, I think two or three space shuttle missions, uh, did a number of space walks. And this is how he described liftoff on the space shuttle. He said, then all of a sudden you feel it. The main engines light up. You feel their power, but the shuttle is being held down. It rocks forward, and when it comes back right over the center of the pad, the solid rockets light up, and boom! That's a huge kick in the pants. Those rocket boosters are producing 6.6 .6 million pounds of thrust, and at the moment of liftoff, going to peak power in about 0.2 seconds. Then you're going. 
There's no shutting those solid rockets down. You're going somewhere in a hurry. After a minute, you're thinking, wow, I'm going fast. After another minute, you're like, oh my, I'm going really fast. After three minutes, you're thinking, oh man, I'm going ridiculously fast. Get me out of here. But you can't get out. You're strapped in. In the first eight and a half minutes, you go from zero to approximately 17,000 miles per hour. That's a rush, is it not? That's a rush. And that, I think that describes the sense of serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. God is an awesome God, is he not? I saw a video of this guy in one of the launches. You can see all, all them sitting there for the cameras that kind of on the dashboard looking at them. And they're all like holding on to these things and they're like, you know, the shuttle is launching off and they're just like this, like, and you can see that, like, he's got this grimace on, but at the same time, like a smile, like, this is gonna, either going to kill me or give me the thrill of my life. And really, that's how it is with the Lord, right? And as we push into the Lord, we serve him with fear and rejoice with trembling because he is an awesome God. I remember my dad, you know, as a kid, I knew my dad loved me. He was absolutely out for me. He would, do, he would sacrifice a lot for the sake of all six of his kids. Um, he was a busy father. And, but I feared him. You know, he put the fear of God in me because I knew that he was willing to do what was necessary for my ultimate good, even if it meant my temporary pain, right? I mean, if, if I was getting too far out of the line, I mean, that belt would come out. You know, and he put the fear of God in us, in us boys especially. But we never doubted his love for him. And, his, and that's exactly how the Father is. You know what? We serve an awesome God who is not afraid to speak truth into our lives and not afraid to challenge our presuppositions and not afraid to say, hey, you're out of line and it's time for a little discipline. It's time for a little, time, time for a little trip you know, behind the woodshed. He's not afraid to do that. So we serve him with fear and rejoice with trembling because he is an awesome God. We rejoice. He loves us. He has incredible plans for us. He's going to set us on thrones where we rule with him from heaven for all eternity. Okay, that is awesome. But it's a fearful and wonderful thing, is it not? We serve an awesome God. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you take refuge in him this morning? Are you looking to the world for a new plan, a new salvation, a new hope, a new dream? Or are you looking to the one who created the universe, the one who sent his only son on your behalf to cover all your mistakes and wash you completely clean and make you a new creation with a new mind that sees things as God sees these things? Is that who you are this morning? If not, if you've never bent your knee to the Lord, if you've never acknowledged Him as your Savior, if you've never put your hope and trust and faith in Him, today is the day of salvation. The King is coming. The King will return, and it is imminent. It has been imminent for 2,000 years. There is nothing in the prophetic schedule that would prevent him from coming right now today. 
He is returning. He is coming. And when he does, he comes with wrath for those who have denied him and with acceptance and rejoicing for those who have embraced him. Will you embrace him this morning? And if you are his child, if you are his believing, his, one of his believers who have put your faith in him, have you allowed the world to get you all distracted and strung out and twisted up in the latest conspiracies of this world? Are you investing time and energy into, into the anxieties of the 24-hour news cycle, the latest rage on social media? You know what? That's all a bunch of ones and zeros. It's all a bunch of ones and zeros. But God is real. God is alive. He's birthed in us new creations throughout this room. That's real and that's forever. And Jesus returning. God is coming. I'm going to end on one last quote from C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite quotes of his. It comes from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it's Lucy asking about Aslan, who is sort of an allegory for Christ. And she says, Aslan is a lion? Oh, sorry, this is Beaver who says, Aslan, no, no, sorry, this is Susan. She says, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the, oh, okay, I'm so confused, sorry. Let me start it one more time. This, I got it right this time. This is the beaver talking, okay? In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, all the animals talk, okay? I'm just saying. If you haven't read it, all the animals talk. And beaver is talking to this little girl, Lucy. And beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Beaver says, Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The king is returning. Jesus Christ is returning. Do not find yourself raging against the king, plotting against his authorities, but rather submit yourself to his kingship. And when necessary... You disobey the authorities when they are absolutely in disobedience to the king. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.